Mac Power Users, Episode 607, iOS 15 and iPadOS 15. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, and I am joined by my friend and yours, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I am good, David. It's a new software week. That's always fun. Yes, yes. I mean, it sneaks up on you, right? <laughs> it does. I, I was telling uh, Mary, you know, what we were recording today, and she was like, wait, is it already new iOS time? Like, how and how is it already iOS 15? I was like, yep, that's uh, that's how this works. Yeah, but before we talk about iOS 15, I want to congratulate you. Uh, my friend, with some help, uh, raised $500,000 for <laughs> childhood cancer. I, uh, Stephen, I... I am so, I don't know, is proud the word to use for a friend? I am just so pleased for you. Yeah, thank you. It's this campaign, you know, we've been doing it for for years. This year we celebrated a million dollars over the last three years, but raising over $500,000. And as as we talk and as this show is live, we're still raising money at the end of the month, so we'll see how high it goes. But breaking that half million dollar mark and we did it in exactly 30 days. I mean, all the credit goes to the audience of Mac Power users and all of the other relay shows and you know our other friends in tech Apple journalism who have talked about it. It's really just it's amazing. I mean, the the podcastathon, you know, now a week and a half ago or whatever was was really fantastic. Uh, I've got a link to the video in the show notes if you haven't seen it. If you got a cool 8 hours to spend, it's a good watch. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it's just so, it's just mind blowing and humbling that we've hit that hit this number, and you know we're we're just gonna keep working at it every year. Yeah, like a couple observations. The first is like looking through the list of people who donated. Like I recognize a lot of those names. There are people that listen to the show that have emailed me over the years or whatever, and it just really overwhelms me the sense of community. You know. We're a podcast. You and I are sitting, you know, in corners of our houses, but we're connected with, with the world. And there's a lot of people out there that really want to make it better. And it just means a lot to me seeing Mac Power users, listeners step up the way they did. And, um, you know, the other thing is I remember at being at Max Talk with you in like at a really bad breakfast. You and I were together, and you're like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing this thing. I've been meeting with St. Jude for a year. They don't really know if it's, you know, what to think of me. And they've never done anything with podcasters. And they're not even sure if it's worth the trouble, you know. And just that was just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And now, like, you're raising a half a million dollars in one year. You raised over a total of $1 million for them. I just, I don't know. I'm just so happy the way this has turned out. Yeah, it's it's a cool thing to be a part of. And and to get to do it sort of our way, right? Like you and I t- talked about app store policy on the podcastathon. Yeah, we did. <laughs> really money exciting. Dude. Um, you know, I got to hit a IBM PC junior with a baseball bat. And then I got the CEO <laughs> of Allsack to do the same thing. And that's now hanging over the door to my studio. Uh, okay. I mounted it on some like bright orange hooks. So yeah, it's just, it's so special. And it really feels like, um, yeah, it just feels incredible. and. The thing that, that gets me about it is like St. Jude is so big and there's so, you know, so many people care about this mission. And so to do our part for that and our little corner of the internet, like it, it really makes me happy. 
So now if you hit a pinata with a baseball bat, candy comes out of it. Uh-huh. What happens if you hit a, a, a PC Jr. with a baseball bat? Sadness. What comes out? Sadness. Sadness comes out. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor DOS compatibility. Uh, it was there was like beige plastic everywhere. Uh, it was it was pretty amazing. All right, well uh, that's cool. Uh, as we record this, I have officially launched the Devon Think Field Guide. All right, thank you everybody who has uh, come and and bought a copy. I got a couple emails because I said on last week's show I usually do kind of like a soft launch the night before to make sure all the pipes are connected, and I had several Mac Power users listeners buying it the the night before it launched and. Uh, I got some really nice emails from them, and thank you, listeners, for that. Uh, I'm real proud of it. Eight and a half hours and 100-plus videos, like four or five months in the making, and it was a lot of work. And I, uh, if you're interested in getting better at Dev and Think, I think I, I'd like to think I, I can give you a product that can help. So uh, thank you, everybody. And uh, the launch discount, as this show airs, is only going to be around a little bit longer. So the... Um, if you want to get in on the launch discount, go check it out at learn.maxsparky.com. Cool. And uh, thank you. We're going to talk about Devon Think next week. We were going to do it this time, but uh, we decided that iOS 15, iPad OS 15 deserve their own full episode. So next week we'll be back diving into Devon Think. Yeah, we had planned it, but then Apple said, hey, we're going to announce iOS 15 on Monday. And we're like, oh, wait a second. We want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. We have something to say. So we will. Um, on more power users today, though, we're going to be talking about iOS 16, because that's what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just wrote in the outline, what is still missing? And uh, looking at the things we've been writing in there, I think it'll be kind of fun to to speculate a little bit for next year. But let's talk about what you can download today. Um, as the show airs, it's already available. You can download iOS 15 on your phone, um, iPad OS 15 on your iPad and watch OS eight on your watch. Um, Apple has had a fairly busy year given, you know, what's going on in the world. And uh, I thought it would be fun to kind of break down the new features. Both of us were using the beta pretty much the whole time. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of experience with them. And um, I think it's time to just kind of weigh in on what's working and, and what's not. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll have a bunch of stuff in the in the show notes for people to follow along. I always highly recommend people checking out Federico's iOS and iPadOS review over on Mac Stories. It's sort of, you know, Federico's like big piece of the year. And uh, I was fortunate to to read it as it was sort of coming together, you know, over the last several months. And it's really Federico at his finest. And I think he's done a great job this year. And if there's any section of you know feature or something that we talk about that you're looking for even more depth on, uh, he probably has more depth on it. So definitely go check out the Mac Stories review. Yeah, I know he puts a lot of work into that, and um, there's a lot. There's just a lot to cover every year. I mean, it, this is a complex operating system, and Apple does make a lot of changes on an annual basis to try and get people you know hooked up with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Snell also wrote up uh, iOS 15, and he's got a nice nice article on that. We're going to put that in the show notes, too. And I guess we need to just start from the beginning. Yeah, so so iOS uh, 15, I always like to start with system requirements, because you know people want to know if, if their devices are supported. 
Yeah. Uh, you've got to have the seventh generation iPod Touch. So if you have an older iPod Touch, it is now um, uh, stuck in the past. And on the iPhone front, it's the iPhone 6S or later, which does include the first iPhone SE because inside it's basically an iPhone 6S. And I really want to highlight that in particular. You know, we speak a lot on this show about the longevity of Macs, right? That you can buy even a MacBook Air and get easily five, six, seven years out of it because the hardware is so good. Apple software support is so good. But that's really become true for the iPhone and iPad as well, where you have lots of people upgrade more frequently. But if you still are using something like an iPhone 6S or 7, you're still getting software updates. You're still getting security updates. I suspect that iOS 16 will probably drop the iPhone 6S. But yeah. uh, at least for now, you've got another year. I just don't think Apple gets enough credit for that because... Gang, this is not the case in other parts of the smartphone world, right? Uh, a lot of our our friends and family using Android phones, they don't have that longevity in terms of software updates that Apple provides and provides reliably now for many years. Well, I mean, just the model is so different on Android. The software update is, is, is largely provided by the phone manufacturer. And a lot of times they just don't, either have the resources, the ability, or the desire to bring even one- or two-year-old updates to their phones. Mm-hmm. And the, there's a couple concerns for that. And uh, you know, if you're a big Android user, you don't need to email me. I don't want to get into a big debate about this. But I, I really feel like there's a security problem with this and that the Android users don't get the security updates. Like, what, how old is an iPhone success now? Is that a six-year-old phone? I it's think it's 20, about 2015. Yeah, so it's even more. Yeah, so it's a six-year-old phone. That's right. Okay, so um, a six-year-old Android device is not going to be getting those updates, which come with security updates. And I, I feel like the security story on mobile is just so important. Um, I mean, if you're listening to Mac Power users, you probably are already an iPhone believer. But I really think that that is a piece of this puzzle that people don't consider. It's hard to believe a phone, iPhone 6S, though. I couldn't imagine using one right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the the headlining features. And, of course, there's overlap here. So we're going to kind of carve out the iPadOS-specific things. But there are a set of features that come to both the iPad and the iPhone this year. And a lot of them are definitely birthed out of the the pandemic season that we're living in right a lot of things to try to bring people together new ways to communicate uh making facetime more competitive with things like zoom which i mean zoom won the pandemic when it came to technology that people maybe weren't using before now zoom is a is a is a noun and a verb right it's like hey hop on a zoom yeah they weren't there before this and facetime didn't pick that up but apple's trying to make some changes there Uh, so maybe maybe that's where we start maybe we start with facetime yeah so the um, they did a couple things. First, they tried to make it more social, but they also tried just to make it better. Like um, the they had the great view that would look great on stage with the floating faces. Uh, now they have simplified it to a grid view, mm-hmm. and I think that is one of the biggest improvements to FaceTime because I I was just not a fan of like looking at windows with people floating around the screen. Yeah. Uh- the grid lets everyone 
kind of like pay attention all on the same level and it's not distracting, you know, with things floating by and someone was talking, their face would get bigger. Like that was, that was a little nuts. Um, it, it does do the thing where whoever's speaking is automatically highlighted, which is a, which is a nice touch. Uh, some other platforms have that, but especially in a big group or maybe a group that you're not super familiar with, uh, that can be a really helpful little indication about what's going on. Yeah, and I'm looking forward now that it's released to trying to use FaceTime more for work. It's it's already the default application for family and friends. You know, I do FaceTime calls frequently with family members, and so like my sisters and I have a kind of a standing call we do with the other, which is always FaceTime. You know, uh, we just moved my daughter into a dorm, so I'm going to be doing a lot of FaceTime with her, and it wouldn't occur to me to even do stuff like that on a Zoom. But uh, because in my day job, I have so many clients that are in the Apple ecosystem, I think now that they've made these changes, I can start using it in, in work in relation to work as well. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how that's going to go. Is Zoom so entrenched now that it is just the default and that that could be hard to break? I don't know. I, I think time will tell you know, how much ground FaceTime can can make up here. Zoom keeps tripping over its own feet, though. You know, I mean, like the yeah. uh, when they installed a private server on your Mac without telling you, and they just seem like sometimes they seem like they're not quite like with it for the site for the you know for what they do. They film seem a little pedestrian sometimes in the way they run their company. Hmm. Um, where Apple has this really thorough security model. I actually kind of trust communications through FaceTime more than through Zoom. And maybe that is not justified, but um, I do understand that's a priority for Apple. I'm not sure it is for Zoom yet. Um, So I I, I would like to be able to extend it. The other thing that they brought in with this release is SharePlay. And this is something that uh, I've tested and I, I'm really looking forward to. I, I, mean, I already just talked about it, but my daughter is in, her, is in her dorm and we watch Ted Lasso every week. And I'm already looking forward to being able to do that with her with this sharing feature of FaceTime. And the way it works is you pick a show and you can watch it together, but you can also have an open FaceTime throughout the call. Yeah, this is something that was in the betas, and now it's coming, quote, soon. So, you know, maybe 15.1 or something, we'll see. But yeah, it is really interesting. When they first announced it, I was like, oh, you know, I don't know about this. But then just the other evening, so my brother and I have been talking about the, there's a new Matrix movie coming at the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, his wife nor my wife care for the Matrix movies. I was like, oh, what if we just like tried out SharePlay? Oh, wait, it's (laughs) it's not out yet. Yeah. But I do think people will find uses for it. And as we spoke about last week, they're adding it to Apple Fitness Plus. So you can do group uh, fitness classes together. And, you know, we've heard from several third-party developers who were exploring it for their applications as well. So this may end up being a, a bigger deal than we than we think, at least in, you know, certain circumstances. Well, like I, I talked on the show when they first announced this. Um, a c- occasional guest of the show, Liana Lahua, is like my Star Wars buddy. And she actually lives kind of close to me. So often she would come over the house and watch Mandalorian with me. But then, you know, we had a pandemic and we couldn't, nobody could be in the same room together. And so we had this thing where we would watch it. We would open a FaceTime call 
and we'd get on like the Disney plus screen and we would figure out exactly when like the little like plus was going to appear and we would pause and then we would like count down. And even then, like, it seems like every episode we'd be watching and one of us would like go like, Oh no. You know, and the other one would be like, what is coming? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I really hope this works because I actually do like um, watching shows with people that aren't in the same room with me. And uh, it would be really nice if they could get that synced up and, and make it uh, less tedious. I just realized that I have the same thing watching Apple keynotes. You know, sometimes people are a little yeah. out of sync and someone will text like a group or to be in Slack or Discord. Like, oh my gosh, look at the new iPad mini. It's like, I'm not there yet. So, you know, maybe we'll try a like a, a Relay FM share play uh, Apple keynote next time. That could be fun. Have you ever heard of uh, New Year blow up the Death Star? Have you ever heard of this New Year blow up the Death Star thing? Yeah, it's when you time your viewing of the movie where the Death Star blows up at midnight. Yes. My friend, uh, Jimmy Mack, the guy who is on Rebel Force Radio podcast, I think he's the one that invented that. He came up with it first. That show's been on since like 2006. And um, now it's a whole thing on the internet. And like there, it, it, there's a, like you have to say, if you're watching the Disney Plus one, you have to start it at exactly, you know, mm. 1038 and 17 seconds. Or if you're watching the, you know, the DVD, you got to start it at this time. There's like exact times you have to start it at. We finally did it last year. That was kind of fun. Way better than the usual New Year's coverage. (laughs) That's what they need to add at iOS 16. They need to add up a blow up the Death Star for New Year's button. So it just automatically plays it for you. It's a a very specific feature request. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck with that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A couple other things in FaceTime, just, just briefly. They're bringing spatial audio to it. So if you are using, uh, you know, that that view where everyone's sort of in the the floating boxes, the sound sounds like they're coming from where they are on your screen. Of course, you need to be using a device that supports spatial audio, of which I have none. So I didn't get to try this because I just have the regular AirPods. Yeah. But uh, I find that that sort of feature, I don't know. I don't want to say gimmicky, but maybe not as useful as some of the other things. Well, I don't even want to use the floating faces, so I yeah. have no interest in the spatial audio. And I just don't need it. I, I would rather have it just mono with a grid. And yep. that was something that was bugging me about prior versions of FaceTime. I understand sometimes easier is is worse, and sometimes easier is better. And in this case, easier being just a simple grid without blowing up faces or floating them around is, you know, is better. On the audio front, they also have a couple of new modes. So uh, all these Apple devices have multiple microphones, right? So now you can uh, say, hey, use those microphones to tune out other sound effects, you know, other background noises and sounds. And so it isolates your voice. And then there's also a wide spectrum. So that leaves, that basically does no filtering. And so if someone is, I don't know, FaceTiming you from a concert or the woods and you want like the whole experience, you can have yeah. that too. But I would recommend having played with it a little bit through the beta, just leave it as is. Um, the the filtering, so you can either have it, because th- there is built-in filtering. The reason they have multiple microphones is so they do noise canceling and they largely isolate your voice. Um, the new isolation mode, I forget what they call it, but it it is more and a more extreme version of that. I think um, in the keynote they had demonstrated it like with a mom and 
the kids were screaming in the background. They were able to isolate, but it really does a lot of clipping. I mean, unless you like work on an aircraft carrier, you probably don't need that. And I, I, just the flip side of that, you know, opening up all the mics without any noise cancellation, I think is probably going to make the calls worse. So uh, I get that they did it, but um, this is not a feature I think everybody should be jumping on for every FaceTime call. Either way, FaceTime overall, um, I know the complaint was it was too little too late, but you know, Delta variant had something to say about that. And we're still doing a lot of this stuff. Um, and no matter when they did it, I'm glad they did it because I feel like now voice and video calls are a thing and I don't think they're going to go away. No, I think the other sort of big knock against FaceTime is, yeah, hey, it's only Apple stuff, right? You can only talk to FaceTime <laughs> on FaceTime with your Apple friends. Yeah. And now you can set up a link. You have to be on an Apple device, but you can set up a link. And if someone's on Windows or Android, they can they basically load it up in a web view. And they can, you know, have that uh, experience in their browser. I, I wish if Apple had been really serious about this, I, I would have just wished for a FaceTime app for Android in particular. Yeah. But that's not the way they do things. And so it's uh, it's in the web at FaceTime.Apple.com. Now, have you done any testing of that? I have not. I have not either. Uh, I know that early on in the beta, it was missing, but I, uh, it's there for launch. And you know, you can do things like uh, have them recurring, and you know, tie them to a calendar event and stuff. So I expect it's well featured. But that's one reason Zoom was so easy because you could just email a link, or like you and I just have a standing Zoom meeting yeah. in our Google Doc each week, and we just click it and we're in. And so bringing some of that to FaceTime is a good call, you know, whether or not it really opens up FaceTime to people not on Apple devices. Like, I think the most this is going to go is, you know, you're doing your family call on Sunday and your cousin with a a, a Pixel 4 can now join in. There's always one. Right? There's always one. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off of your account. I am so pleased to have 1Password as a sponsor of the Mac Power Users. I've been a user of their software since it was brand new, and I use it every day. But also, I just love the company and what they stand for. Just recently, when we were running the um, the St. Jude fundraiser here at Relay.fm, it was 1Password that helped put us over the top to get to that goal. And they're just that's just what you would expect from the gang at 1Password. They really believe in the community. And one thing they've done recently that I wanted to point you uh, to was with iOS 15, the release that we're talking about today on the show, uh, 1Password has got very powerful. Everything you love about 1Password is now available in Safari on iPhone and iPad. With Apple's new plugin support for iPhone and iPad, 1Password was one of the very first companies to jump into that. And now you have immediate access to all of your 1Password directly in Safari. You can fill with a tap, search all items, generate smart passwords, or even view any of your data from your saved notes. Having your entire digital life available directly within Safari is awesome. And that's just the beginning. They also brought over page suggestions from the desktop as well. In-page suggestions allow you to access your items directly where you need them. For sites that have complicated sign-in forms, they use the on-device machine learning to detect what's happening and automatically fill the password for you. 
it's just a massive upgrade for Safari overall. And that's just a little bit of what you can do with one password. Now you can get in-page contextual filling suggestions. You can fill in logins, credit cards, identities, and email addresses. You can automatically fill credentials across multiple pages and autofill two-factor authentication codes. You can even scan in QR codes for easy setup of two-factor authentication. It's just they've unlocked the entire app in Safari, gang. I don't know what else to say. If you've got one password, you need to get started on this today. It's available now. Just go to the App Store for the free update to one password and get started using this amazing technology. And if you're not using one password, you should check it out. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps and sign up. You get 20% off. I'm a subscriber from my family and we love it. I bet you will be too. Thanks, one password for all of your support of the Mac Power users. Okay, so one of the big the biggest areas of contention throughout the beta were this was the changes to Safari. And uh, I don't think I've ever well, I mean, I don't want to say ever, but we've had prior events where users got very upset and developers got upset throughout the beta process. I'm thinking about the translucent menu bar in years past and the super skinny font they had in iOS 7. Mm-hmm. But you know, occasionally Apple does listen when they get a lot of negative feedback. And it seems like the Safari team, I mean, I just feel like I, they're probably out drinking somewhere right now after that beta run. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the original design just didn't really work. And, and where they ended up is such a weird place where you effectively have the old and new Safari 15 UI. So like on your phone, you go into settings in Safari and you can say, I want tabs on the top or tabs on the bottom. I like them on the bottom, you know, with the Pro Max, but it does lead to questions of like, why doesn't every app work this way? I just I just don't know. Man, I'd love to know what happened here. I would love to know the behind the scenes. But they ended up in a place where I think Safari 15, the design is pretty good if it's on the if you want the tabs on the bottom. If the tabs are on the top, it's basically the way it's always worked. Now on the Mac, we will get to that when Monterey comes out, assumedly next month or you know, November sometime. I think it's not as good there. But I think on the iPhone in particular, Safari 15 ended up in a pretty decent place to, you know, especially considering where they started. Yeah, and the other thing that they did that to bend is if you really hate it, there are settings. You can put the address bar back at the top and largely kind of get back to what you had in the prior version of mm-hmm. iOS. So they they that which is unlike Apple, right? To Very. to say we're going to give you both. But I I feel like probably what happened is somebody on the inside really felt like that this was a change for the better and they were going to try, you know, Apple is so famous for saying, you know, we're going where you need to be, not where you think you want to be. And uh, that worked, right? They got rid of the parallel port and they did the USB mouse and they did, you know, there's a lot of stuff they've done over the years that people, or when they got rid of the floppy, right? Everybody's complained about, but ultimately it seemed like the right decision. This just did not feel to me like the right decision. It felt to me like it was making using a Safari harder, at least in case, in the way I use Safari. But I have, like you, kind of left it at a default. I am now using the menu bar, not the menu bar, the address bar at the bottom of Safari. I find that kind of nice on the phone to be able to swipe back and forth once you get used to it. And uh, overall, I'm I'm okay with where it ended up. But the uh, man, what a journey that was. It's really been a long time since we've seen something like that play out in public. 
It was really just from a watching the company point of view, really strange. Now, here's a question for you. Now, Apple has, you know, a few years ago started doing a public beta of their software. Before that, the only people that were on the betas were nerdy developers. Do you think that helped them identify that this was that, you know, this boat was not going to float? I think it absolutely did. I mean, the the nerdy community that's running the developer beta, you know, that's sort of one set of voices, but to have I mean, really what seemed to be uh, everyone in the world <laughs> using this, being mad at them, certainly it, it gave the people on the inside who were fighting against it, certainly gave them more ammunition than they would have had otherwise. Agreed. I, I just think that, um, you know, when they started that program, some people were making fun of them, saying that's not Apple, that's not the way Apple works. But I felt like it was a positive step because, you know, you should interact with the people who buy and use your stuff. And uh, I, I would like to think that that open public beta is a, is one of the reasons why they realized they were going down the wrong wrong turn on this one. But either way, um, for most people now, the you know, the, don't listen to Mac Power users. All they're going to say is, oh, the address bar is at the bottom, but most of the features they need are there, the buttons they need are there. And they'll never be aware of of all the drama that happened during the summer of 2021. <laughs> um, the, the other thing, though, is web extensions. Yeah, this is really cool. So they have brought the full like desktop web extension API and user experience uh, down to the iPad uh, and to the iPhone. And so in the past, you know, basically everything was under the share button. So like if you were trying to log in with one password or you were trying to, to sh- you know, send something to some other app, like you had to hit the share button. And it didn't really make sense for a lot of that stuff. And so now there's a new extensions menu. It looks like a, a little puzzle piece and you can tap on it. You have all the privacy controls. So you can say only let this one view this website or I don't want this to run forever, you know, whatever it may be. And in within that extension, the developer can show their own custom user interface. So they're not locked to what was available to them in the share extension API. They can basically load in whatever little version of their app that they need. And uh, I've been running a few. Uh, The one password one is fantastic. It's really the one that I was most excited about because you get, you know, the full one password experience just within a little window uh, over your browser, just like you do on the Mac. And another one that I've been uh, I've been testing is called Overamped, and so you know those AMP pages, like when you search on Google and you get you know the weird AMP, you know formatting and stuff. Uh, this is just a little Safari extension that redirects them automatically. So if you hit an AMP page, it finds the full version automatically and uh, loads that for you, and it just sits in the background and does its thing. Uh, and there's several others that I've tested that aren't out yet, but. It's really it makes Safari feel like a real like desktop browser in a way that it never really has. Yeah, I think the other penny to drop on this though is Apple needs to embrace the extension community more because there's a huge reputation that Apple has of being non-cooperative with developers of interesting extensions. Uh, I'm a real fan of these extensions that help you read the web like there are some great extensions out there that, like you can highlight 
a page on the web and it'll save that highlighting. And if you like Rome Research or Obsidian or some of these other apps, you can actually import the highlighting into your notes app. And it's a great idea. And none of those extensions work with Safari. And I was in a forum recently with some of the Readwise developers. And I was asking, you know, when are you going to get this extension into Safari? And they're like, well, you know, Apple uh, has a, you know, the problem with Apple is you spend all the money to develop it for them. And then they change something and they don't tell you and then it doesn't work anymore. And we found it's just not worth the bother. And I felt like, you know, that rang true historically. I also felt like Apple is trying to change that, but it's not there yet. And there's still a lot of extensions. I mean, because this started, this this extension um, support started last year on the Mac. And there's still a lot of extensions that are not, you know, on the Mac that are on Firefox and Chrome. Mm-hmm. And it, like, that's the one complaint I have about Safari is that there, I find all these great extensions I want to use that, that won't work with, with my browser of choice. So I would I would like to see Apple reach out more and like really kind of embrace that community and not be the company with a reputation that's going to, you know, break your extension without telling you and not be, you know, I, I just doubt they have much developer support for these extensions. I'd like to see them actually, you know, get engaged with that. Yeah, that's definitely a, a shift for Apple to move into that sort of community and I mean, even using like the standard web extension framework uh, is new for Apple. That for a long time they had their own like custom weirdo thing that people had to write against, and only specific sorts of extensions were even allowed. This is not turning Safari into Chrome or to Firefox, but I think some moves in that direction would only be good. Like you said, there's a lot of useful tools out there that um, just aren't present currently in Safari, and Maybe they'll get there. I mean, a- Apple's angle here is always like privacy and security, and they want to make sure that any extensions that they approve are following the rules. And th- I'm I'm glad for that. I don't want <laughs> some random code seeing everything I you know everything's going on in my browser. But at the same time, I think that they need to continue to open it up. Yeah, and I'm not talking about like fly-by-night developers here yeah. making extensions. These are pretty common productivity-related extensions. And um, I, I feel like they may have the tools now, but I'm just not sure that they've got the story out there, and I'm certain they probably don't have the developer support to say, hey, you know, we notice you have this great Chrome browser. You know, can we help you get it onto Safari? Whereas I feel like Google is going to be all over stuff like that. And I do think that the usage of a browser is going to increase if you have the extensions that people want to use. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure they get that too. That's why this stuff is there. And I'm really happy overall with this story. I just would like to see them embrace it more. For sure. Like a company like 1Password is going to be all over it from day one. But I'm not sure people who are not as plugged into the Apple ecosystem are going to even be aware of it. Yeah, that's a good point. Live text. This is cool. This yeah. is this is the thing you show your friends to say, why should I update my phone? Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of great. You point your phone at something and it reads the text live and and you can work with it. The, the demo they used was a phone number off a sign, but that was the perfect demo because I've done that multiple times throughout the beta period. Yeah. So, yeah, so this, you you basically just point your phone at, text in the world and it 
figures out what's in it and you can copy and paste it out or, or have actions on it. It will also work on things in your uh, photo library. So if you have a picture open, it will skim for the text and, and let you pull it out. And it, yeah, it's the phone number thing is great. Being able to like just point your phone, you know, for me, uh, my kids are all in school. And so I get a lot of like stuff home from the teachers. Like I can just point it at this and like get the teacher's email address instead of having to type it into my phone. Like it's really cool. And it's one of those features that effectively like the use cases are endless because everyone has different things. Like I I could see this if you're, you know, using an iPad in a sales role and you need to like pull in a bunch of data off a sheet or if you're in the medical field, like, I mean, the uses to me seem absolutely endless. Yeah. And the idea that just as a thing, your phone can now read, read pictures. I mean, I, that, I think that's maybe where we should be in 2021, but you know, just wrapping your head around that is pretty impressive. I, I don't know. I, I know this feature has existed in, in different iterations over the years. That was the big selling point for Evernote back in the day. I don't know if you recall, but even when Evernote launched, you could take a picture of a sign, and then after it went through the Evernote cloud machine, Evernote would be able to search for the contents of that sign. Um, live text is more immediate. It's on device, you know, it's more secure, blah, blah, blah. But you know, that was what, 10 years ago that Evernote was doing it. And Mm -hmm. I like now that it's just in the device. And that is a, um, as my kids have been using my phone and whatnot, and that would show up occasionally for them and be like, Whoa, what is this? You know? And I think you're right. It will be a great selling point, but unlike a lot of these like impressive features that are great to impress people, but aren't really that useful. I think this is one that people are just going to adopt into their everyday life pretty quickly. I think so too. I really think we'll get to a point where people just do this without thinking <laughs> about the, the stuff behind it. Right. Like I remember when um, QR codes were like added to the camera app, right? Like the first yeah. few times like, Oh, it's really cool. I don't need a third party app. And now it is like, if I come across one, I need to scan it. I don't even think about it. I just point my phone at it. And I think that live text will get to that point too. And in my, you know, experience in the beta, at least it's really pretty good. It's, it's been only a couple of times where I've had it really botch what I was, you know, looking at where it really just didn't understand the text. Most of the time it's been exactly what I wanted to see. Yeah. One of the uses I've had for it is on, um, my wife and I, the DLR field guy, the Disneyland thing we do together, when we go to eat at like a restaurant Disneyland, I'll just take a picture of the menu and, or, you know, they have the big signs over the counters. I'll take pictures of those. And then later when I'm going back to work on the video, I can pull text out of the picture. If I want to put in like, you know, we had the watermelon lemonade smoothie and it cost four ninety nine. I get all that stuff just out of the live text, um, text. So I, I'm already finding uses for it, and I think a lot of people will too. Yeah, I think so. A feature that is related to this uh, is something called Visual Lookup. And so with this, you can basically point your camera at different types of objects. So it's art, major landmarks, uh, books, pets, and then nature. So like plants and that sort of thing. 
And it, it basically is like tied into Siri, but in a bunch of different ways. So if it's one of those types of objects, it's going to give you information about it. If you are looking at a landmark, it may pull up uh, a link to Apple Maps or to other images. If it's a book, it'll pull up, you know, Siri uh, web search if you want to purchase that book. So it's tailored in a way that's, you know, slightly different depending on on what you're uh, what you're looking at there. And uh, this is one of those features that does require a phone uh, with an A12 Bionic. So you're not going to get this on some of the older phones that support uh, iOS 15. But if you're on a modern phone in the last three or four years, you'll have this. And it's this is like a very googly feature to me. Like Google really prides itself on stuff like this. And they have apps where you can you can do this and. And now Apple's doing it with machine learning and with their uh, Siri, you know, set of, of resources. I don't think it quite measures up to what Google can do, but it is a really big step in terms of making Siri and making its ability to surface information more useful out in the real world. Yeah. I mean, several years ago, I was routinely writing posts complaining that Apple was uh, in, in, uh, while worshiping privacy, Apple was falling behind uh, with all the services Google was offering with the photo search and a lot of these like server side services that I thought people really wanted. And at the same time, I was looking at my children who can't seem to get the concept of privacy, that they're not even interested in it, which made me think, you know, the younger generation is not concerned about privacy and Apple is ignoring these features that people want. And, I feel like I have to eat some crow on that because they did get there with a combination of silicon power and artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's probably still not as good as the Google stuff, but it's pretty good. I mean, if you're listening to the show and you've never opened your photos library and typed in like dog and beach or snow and, you know, car or whatever, you know, do a, a simple search in your library and you'll be shocked at how good it does at finding the contents of your pictures without relying on sharing all your pictures with somebody on the internet. I, I really feel like Apple, they, at the time, I'm sure they knew where they were going with this. And, um, you know, I, I feel like they're, I feel like they're, they're fine now. I don't think you're going to see many blog posts like that anymore from anybody. And then of course there's a huge, um, uh, impact for sight impaired people with these types of features as well. Yeah, absolutely. Having the phone be more aware of what's in front of it and and putting that information either on screen or into voiceover in a way that is uh, accessible to more people, that's what these devices should do, right? They should be uh, a conduit into the world for people who need it. And Apple's worked on that for years. I mean... I feel like, you know, going back years and years, they have brought these features. Last year, we spoke about a lot of them. And this is another another step down that path. Yeah. I mean, we've had sight-impaired um, uh, people on the show that talked about all the different devices that the iPhone has replaced for them. Like, one of them was, you point it at money, and it tells you what what the money is. I mean, if you can't see it. You need help with that. And and I think, you know, I don't know. I, I'm very happy that this is happening. I think it has a lot of benefits for a lot of people. And uh, I'm glad to see them continuing to push the gas down in this area. 
health app data sharing. Yeah, this is this is pretty cool. So if you're using the built-in uh, health application, which of course syncs with a bunch of third-party apps and you can enter your own data, you can now share that data with your doctor, your healthcare provider. You can also, though, set it up to share with people in your life. And so maybe you want to share it with your spouse or maybe you have a parent that you want their health kit data to be visible to you. You know, maybe you're uh, partially in charge of their health care now. Yeah. I think this is this is great. Uh, you can very easily see who you're sharing with and who's sharing with you. And I think they've they've done a good a good job also of making making health kit data more easily understandable. Like the health app has like a richness to it, especially if you're using an Apple Watch and maybe other third party uh, applications that tie into it. But I think that having uh, having it in a way that was easy to understand wasn't always the case. And now with some better charts and some clearer uh, clearer layouts and things, I just I feel like it's cleaner and easier to use now, and I think that's a, a good thing. Yeah, I feel like sometimes Apple makes changes like this. And you're like, well, that's going to help a little bit right now. But you need to think longer term. Like this feature in particular, I think is going, the penny for this is going to drop in a few years when we get an Apple Watch that has blood pressure detector in it, you know. And suddenly, like, you can check mom's blood pressure, keep up with it, you know. And Mm -hmm. things like, I, I just feel like that this is a building block, but it's not the entire building and um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more to this coming down the road. Yeah, I do too. And I also, you know, every time I hear about these things where like you can share your data with your doctor and you can, um, you know, share it with your children or your, or you can get data from your, from your children. I, I feel like this stuff is great, but it doesn't feel like it's accessible enough now. And it's not really adopted in the medical community either. I mean, I've never, gone to a doctor where they said, Hey, uh, why don't you push this button here so we can also track your, your Apple watch workouts or whatever. And I, I would have no problem doing that if it helped keep me healthy, but I just feel like, you know, all this stuff is building blocks, but it's not really kind of integrated yet. Like it should be. Yeah. I mean, I just opened it on my phone and it's like, share with your doctor. And I clicked the link and like the list of (laughs) available places to share it with is pretty short now it's got some suggestions but like if i try to search you know anything that i would recognize in my area uh none of it's there you know this is like a totally topic for a different time like the digital medical electronic medical record system you know it it's uh, there's lots of different solutions out there and apple's got to work with a bunch of different practices and different things but i do wish this were all more portable in a way uh, that would be more automatic. You know, if you if you opt into that, if you want it. Yeah. There's nothing stopping anybody from, you know, you go to your yearly physical and you just pull out your iPhone and show them some charts. Uh, you know, I think that's great. But making this data more accessible and maybe like easier to act on proactively would be a, a big win. 
Yeah, but I think the only way you get there is what they're doing now, is you've got to start making it and putting it out there. And uh, and this is one where, unlike where I don't think Apple is reaching out to, um, you know, web plugin developers, I do think Apple is reaching out to the health system and trying to figure out how do we connect with hospitals and insurance companies and, you know, how do we get this stuff out into the world where it can do more good? I mean, I don't you get the impression every time Apple talks about health that they feel like that is like one of the reasons they can matter to the world. I mean, I, I oh, get yeah. it. They make a lot of money and that's a good reason to exist as a company, but I feel like they want to make the world healthier. And it's like, it's not something that they're doing to make a big profit on, but they feel like that's an opportunity they have. Yeah. I mean, Tim Cook has said like, that's their, you know, what he views as Apple's big impact is, is on health and fitness. So I, I think they're continuing to, to move in the right direction. And, if rumors are to be believed in you know, the Apple watch will gain a lot more functionality over time with new sensors and things. So I think, I think getting the health app in kind of better shape this year is laying the groundwork for hopefully something bigger shared with you. Yeah. I, 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 I just don't care about this one. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> uh, it, it basically is, it's a set of features that are sort of scattered throughout, uh, kind of different parts of the OS where you're most likely to see it, probably at least where I've seen it the most often, is if someone messages me a URL and I open it in Safari, I get a little bar at the top that says, this was shared by David Sparks. Like, yeah, I know. I opened it. But it's just, it's easy to, to ignore. Um, in photos, they've sort of used that label to group some things that were already in photos, including uh, sharing uh, like iCloud links and stuff. But it's basically just kind of a branding over these are things that other people have sent you have fun with them. Yeah. I, I would say this might be the reason you neither one of us are excited about this is because we're power users. Uh, people who are not as familiar with the way their phones work, they may find this useful and um, I'll just be curious to see what happens with it, but I I'm not very excited about it either. I am however excited about app privacy reports uh, this is another area that I, I think Apple has really been press, pressing down on the gas with, and that is um, you know, getting a more clear picture to users about what kind of data you're sharing and what they're doing with your data. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. And I do wonder if in the future there there's something, oh, this is kind of getting into more power users territory, but if there's something Apple could do you know, if you're in like an iMessage thread, you can go back and view like all the photos shared and kind of get like meta information about that. But like, I feel like this could be rolled up into something more useful. Like if I'm looking at your contact card, hey, show me the stuff that, you know, David has shared with me over time across all these different things. But for now, it's sort of scattershot, it feels like. Yeah, it, it's like their old document model where it's based on uh, document type, not on person. Mm-hmm. And it maybe it would make more sense to base it on person or both, you know, why not? Um, but I, I would rather go to your contact card and see everything shared with me than have to surface it in individual apps. Yeah. This episode of MPU is brought to you by electric. So you have a whole fleet of Apple devices and they used to be arranged neatly carry to and from an office predictably handed directly to your team members on their first day, 
and used precisely for work and securely connected to the office network. Of course, things have changed. Now they're strewn across the land. Your company's iPads, iPhones, and Macs are out there connecting to dodgy coffee shop Wi-Fi, mistakenly being left behind on flights, moonlighting as a child's toy in playrooms turned work-from-home offices. What could go wrong? Well, thanks to Electric, you don't have to worry about what could go wrong because Electric gives you fully supported device management for Apple devices. Electric device management automates device provisioning and setup, remotely enforces security and compliance across your fleet, and gives you visibility into your device inventory and health at all times. Electric uses the world's leading mobile device management providers and tops it off with world-class IT support for fully managed devices, backed up by over 100 IT specialists ready to field your team's requests. So stop stressing about scattered devices. Head on over to electric.ai mpu to get started. And just for taking a qualified meeting with their team, they're going to give you a pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones. That's electric.ai mpu to get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a meeting. To learn more about how electric device management can make managing your fleet of Apple devices better than ever. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the show. All right. In addition to all that stuff we got uh, for the iPhone, uh, iPad OS is its own operating system now, and that means that it is getting some attention. Um, you want to break down the system requirements for the new iPad? Yeah. Yeah. Like the iPhone, uh, it goes way back. So anything newer than an iPad Air 2, an iPad Mini 4, on the regular iPad, you need an iPad 5th generation or later, and any iPad Pro. And so those stretch back to slightly different dates, but if you've got an iPad you've bought in the last <laughs> five or six years, uh, if not a little bit longer, you're you're set here as well. Yeah. The big thing, thing for me i think the thing i've enjoyed the most throughout the beta process is widgets on the on the home page yep I mean, uh, the way they did it last year with widgets on the side actually it was two years ago that they put the widgets in the sidebar it felt like a tease and then to get widgets everywhere on the iphone and not get them everywhere on the ipad it just felt like it was bananas to me and i have almost no apps outside of my dock at this point mm-hmm. i have widgets you know they run the table on my iPad now. And if, you, if you're just installing this on your iPad, I'd recommend, you know, take a half hour while you're watching TV or something and, and set up your your home screen on your iPad to actually give you information, you know, rather than just be a bunch of well-spaced out icons. <laughs> yeah, it really makes the iPad home screen feel alive in a way it never has. And uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm also a big fan of the new extra large widget size. So if you just want like a honking big widget of your calendar or something, uh, there's some really nice, nice options there in that big size. Agreed. Agreed. And the app library is now an icon in the, in the, in the uh, bar on yeah. the bottom of your iPad. And I think that that is great. I know a lot of people can't wait to figure out how to re- take that out, but I find it great because I have almost no apps, but I find that the app library does a good job of servicing the apps that I usually want to get access to when I don't have it somewhere else. And I use it on my iPhone and I use it on the iPad. Yeah. It's nice that it's here. You know, this was the other thing like widgets on the home screen of like, 
uh, did you just not get to the iPad this year? Like, <laughs> and I guess not. Uh, but here it is. And and honestly, with these big widgets, you know, I have fewer apps than ever on the home screen of my iPad. And so, yes, I'm relying on the app library or search to launch uh, a deeper set of apps than I used to. But uh, I think it's a really nice addition to the uh, to the iPad. I think having it on the dock makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think that with the iPad dock being able to hold so many, it's not like you're losing one of your four spots on your iPhone. Yeah. I think they did a good job at sort of remixing it to the iPad. Are there any uh, any apps of note that you're using as widgets? You know, really nothing that I wasn't already using on my phone. And so my primary ones are Carrot Weather, the calendar, and the Photos Memories widget, which in particular is really nice on the iPad. Uh, so I, I have those like three in the large size across the top. And then I've got a couple rows of apps underneath them. I really like Fantastical's view on iPad, and um, I like the the um, OmniFocus because I can I have a custom perspective that shows me just what I'm working on today, and having that visible right on the home screen of the iPad is really nice. Um, I do find the World Clock, just the basic Apple World Clock one, is handy because. I work with a bunch of people in other countries and just being able to look at my iPad screen to see what time it is. And what I found is rather than using the shortcuts widget, I am using just, I have like four shortcuts that get to all my other shortcuts. Like they're kind of directory shortcuts. I just put those in the dock and I find that works really nice too. So, but it's totally changed up the ways my iPad and like it was so bad before where if you didn't have an app in the dock, when you tried to multitask, um, it was really a pain in the neck to try and actually multitask. And now they fixed that. And I just feel like the iPad got a lot better in terms of manageability with, with those improvements. And that's just the beginning really on the iPad. Yeah. So much about iPad OS 15 just feels like, unmasking the power that was there before, right? Because we had widgets before, but they weren't on the home screen. You had search, but now you have app library. Um, Making the iPad feel like it's easier to get around on and more flexible. And those are good things, right? Unlocking the iPad from the iPhone-centric like user model that it's been stuck on for so long it has been a good thing over the years and and with 15 they've they've pushed it even even further obviously the the headlining thing there is the revised multitasking where apple has taken what was a flexible but i think ultimately confusing for most people system Cryptic. of yeah yeah it's like you have to know the secret gestures to do things They've kind of repackaged that in some ways that are really interesting. So now you have a multitasking menu. It's a little lozenge-shaped button at the top of an application. And that now contains your multitasking controls. And so instead of like swiping and holding or going to the home screen and then like sliding up and over. Now you can just use that multitasking menu to say, I want this application on the left. I want this one on the right. And it really makes it not only easier, but I have found actually much faster than like trying to time the gestures right and stuff. You can just do what you need to do, 
you know, with relative ease. You know, sometimes there's features on an Apple device that it feels like an engineer had to like sneak it into the operating system. Like maybe he didn't have approval for this. So it's kind of buried and not easy to find. Like print to PDF on the iPhone and iPad feels to me like that. You've got to like hit the print button and then do a reverse pinch. And it's like throw salt over your shoulder and spin around three times in order to do it. And and I, I almost feel like this was put in there by somebody that knew they needed it, but couldn't like get approval to do it right. And that's what the older multitasking felt to me like. It's like you had to know the secrets in order to use it. Whereas now you just press the button and it couldn't be simpler. And you don't have to go back and like watch a YouTube video every time you want to multitask because now all you do is press the button. And I would love to see the statistics. You know Apple tracks how often people multitask with the iPad. And I bet it goes through the roof after, you know, mm-hmm. iOS 15 gets populated out to all the iPads. Yeah. One really nice change with this is okay, so so say that you're in an app full screen and you uh, want to put it on the left and pull another app up. Well, now when you tap that menu and you say go to the left, you get a little pop that says split view, choose another app, and it takes you back to the home screen. And so you can pick anything on your home screen and it pulls it up into the split view automatically. It's and like, if you've got <laughs> the app library in your dock, you can open up the app library and pick an app from there and it does the same thing. Yeah, it's it's really fast and it it also promotes slide over in a way that like slide over was kind of hidden before, but now just from the multitasking menu, you can add something into your little slide over stack and you can have multiple apps and slide over and manage those all there. And when they're off to the side, you get a little, uh little carrot on the side of the screen, you know, telling you that, that, that they're there. All these little affordances are just really nice. Yeah. Agreed. I, I really feel like I, I know there was a disappointment from the community after WWDC feeling like they didn't do enough with the iPad. And I, I interpret that differently. I feel like they did with the iPad what they want the iPad to be good at. And, um, and I think they really did make it easier to put multiple screens on and, and, you know, have it an informational kind of like status board with all these, um, with all these widgets. And, and no, I think they took the iPad in exactly the direction they wanted to. And if you can just you know, wrap your head around that, I think you're going to be really happy with what we got. And then there was one more feature that we have to talk about, and it's this quick notes feature. Yeah, this is, this is really cool. Uh, they have added the ability to create an Apple Note. And is Apple Note only? Boy, I would like to have my Note app of choice in there, but that's not yeah, how it works. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and basically you can create a note. There are a couple different ways you can do it. You can do it with a gesture from the bottom of the screen. You can use it with the pencil or the control or control center. And it creates a note, but the note is contextual to what you're doing. And then you get the full notes UI. So say that you're looking at a, a you know, a Max Sparky article in Safari. You can create a quick note. You can add some thoughts to it. It has the link back to that URL. And you can save it, and it just goes off into Apple Notes in a new folder called Quick Notes. And if you come back around to that page, you then have access to continue your, you know, your notes there. 
I really view this as like a research tool and it's coming to Monterey as well. So you'll be able to create them there on the iPhone. You can't create them. You can only view them, which is kind of a bummer, but I get it, I guess with a small screen, but it basically just gives you this like picture in picture into notes and, and it knows what you're doing. It's, it's very clever. Well, I mean, if you look at the iPad, what is it really, you know, in essence, it is a legal pad or a pad of paper. That's mm-hmm. kind of the model for the device. Hmm. I get that it's heavier and sometimes bigger or smaller, but, you know, you walk into a meeting with an iPad and an, and an Apple pencil. The idea is you should be able to take notes quickly. And just like drafts kind of solve that problem when you with text where you open drafts and you can start typing immediately. I think Apple realized they need to solve that problem for the pencil. Like if you... If you're standing in a hallway and you're holding an iPad and a pencil and someone says, here, let me give you my phone number. Okay. In the old days, if you're carrying a piece of paper and a pencil, you know, what do you do? You hold up the pencil, you hold up the paper, you write down the phone number. But when, when you're holding an iPad and a, and a, an Apple pencil and they say, let me give you my phone number, there's a bunch of steps in the middle. I need to open up a notes app. I need to activate the pencil. I need to maybe make a new file. You know, there's all these steps and the person sitting there waiting for you to do all this before they give you your phone number and you feel uncomfortable, so you just don't do it. I feel like that is the problem they're trying to solve with this feature of saying, if I'm holding an iPad and an Apple Pencil, I should be able to scratch something down as fast as I can hold up mm-hmm. a, a, a pad of paper and a pencil. And that if I can't do that, then they failed. You know, And I think just one swipe and you're in there, I think that's good. That being said, I feel like this is a generation one of this feature, and I would really hope that this is not one of those features where they're like, okay, we did that, move on. I would really like them to like, like come back and revise this. And like already, I would like to change the size of the pad. Like when it opens, it's like a quarter size of the screen, but maybe I want the full screen or half the screen. You know, I, I would like to be able to say, when it opens, give me this much space. Another thing it doesn't do, it's just a blank sheet. With a pencil, I would prefer to have a dot grid. You know, hmm. Give me an option for that. And and the ultimate fix would be, um, let me choose an app. Like yes. have it open Good Notes instead of Apple Notes. But but overall, like the, the contextual linking, I think is spot on. The time from, hey, I want to write something down to actually writing something down is spot on. I would just like to see them kind of like go further with this. Again, this is maybe something we should have talked about at the after show, but that's okay. But the uh, you know, I I I'm encouraged by this feature, but I just want to see it go further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they may they may get there, but boy, I mean, I hope this so. Feature iPad Mini City <laughs> is what it makes me think of. It doesn't matter because I'm I'm using the 11 inch iPad and. I've got it on my desk all day and I'm on the phone with clients constantly and I have already found this way faster than like trying to open up a note and start typing or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's just something about having a pencil and a piece of glass and just writing, you know, or pencil and a paper. And so, and the, the advantage of this is it's digital. You get to keep it forever. I don't know. I, I am, I think they're really onto something here with this feature. I think so. Just don't stop, Apple. You know, you're almost there. <laughs> what is uh, also cool about these new iOS 15, iPad, excuse me, iPad OS 15 features is that keyboard shortcut control has been baked into all of them. 
and most of them through the new well it's new on the mac but the key the globe button on like the smart and magic keyboard so for instance you can create a quick note for with globe q uh which is (laughs) using q is just so wired in my brain for quit but stands for quick note in this case uh you also have a lot of controls a globe a left over right arrow etc for managing the multitasking to slide things from one side to the other to the screen or put it in split view. And so I like that Apple is as they're making these new features and, and putting them into iPad OS, they're thinking about keyboard centric users from the beginning. Cause I don't think that was always true. You know, for a long time, keyboard shortcuts like, yeah, they're in apps, but the system itself doesn't really have that many. And, and now there's this whole feature set that, you can use with just your finger or with an Apple Pencil, but if you have a keyboard, it can be even faster, like it is on the Mac. We talk about Mac keyboard shortcuts. And so I am really encouraged to see that that Apple is thinking about the keyboard more and more as a standard part of the iPad experience and not one just for people who want to, you know, write articles on it. Yeah. I mean, overall, I'm pretty happy with the direction of iPad. We're going to talk about that in the next feedback show because I've I've got some criticism from some of the listeners about iPad lately, but the um, but they are they are working on making it more friendly for the things the iPad is is made for. Yeah, they're they're figuring it out finally, and this is what we hoped for. Right, this is what we had hoped for when Apple said, "Okay, it's going to have its own OS." We're calling yeah. it iPad OS. We talked about it then. That creates expectation. That creates a a responsibility on Apple's part to treat it differently than the iPhone in more and interesting ways. And yeah, they're probably moving more slowly than a lot of people would like, but I think they're doing it. And I think, you know, two, three, four years down the road, the iPad will look even more different than the iPhone. And I think that's that's good for people who want to use the iPad as their primary or only computer. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, I tweeted um, during the Apple event when they're walking around the secret lab, you know, the underground lab. At one point, um, she walks by a tablet, a digital tablet that it looks like it's about 30 inches in diameter. <laughs> did you see that? Uh, I did see that. I mean, that would be cool. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that is the future. Maybe they're going to get iPad advanced enough that they can make something that big with an iPad operating system and you can actually do work on it. Wouldn't that be great? I'd love to see that. Not sure I'd buy it, but <laughs> I think it'd be great. You just imagine uh, like putting that in a red wagon and pulling it to your favorite coffee shop to get some work yeah, done. Yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> well, I've said it before, but my dream setup is a um, is an iMac that is a Mac when it's standing vertically and then when you tilt it down, you know, like the the uh, the Microsoft Surface Studio, mm-hmm. like you tilt it down, and when you lay it down to drafting table mode, it turns into an iPad. Could you imagine how I would I would like take my money? I would love to have a computer like that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? Would you know if customers didn't click that buy button or fill out a trial form? You might stumble across the problem by luck, but that means you've already lost out on new customers. You need something to tell you everything is running smoothly on your site. 
and more importantly, when it isn't. So you need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month. That's more than 400,000 outages every day. And for as low as $10 a month, Pingdom helps keep your sites online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need real-time alerts about critical website issues and customization of how you're alerted, whether via SMS, email, or your team's collaboration apps. Pingdom even tracks and analyzes your website load time, so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a website, you need Pingdom. Take charge of monitoring your website in minutes. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of the Mac Power users and all of RelayFM. All right. Uh, one of the main features and one that I've talked about a lot throughout the beta is focus mode. And I really like it. Um, I think this is another one that is, it's the first pass at it, but um, we've had for a couple years now, Apple kind of leaning into the digital problem uh, in the sense that, you know, we've all got these devices now and it's getting increasingly hard for people to stay focused on their work or the things they're passionate about because, you know, you got to get one more like in Instagram or check Facebook one more time. You know, there's all these things on our phones that want to distract us from what's important in our lives. And, you know, they started uh, a couple of years ago when they started like getting more serious about time tracking and reporting back to you what you're doing on your device, how many times you pick it up a day, for instance. And I feel like the next penny to drop on this was the this whole new idea of focus mode where you can tell your phone, I'm doing this thing right now and I only want interruptions from, you know, like my wife and my partner and I only want, you know, you can actually determine in do not disturb mode with this focus mode, who gets through the brick wall. And um, I think this is a worthy next step. Have you played with this at all through the beta? Uh, some, n- definitely not as much as I think you have. But uh, my reading on it is that, well, Back that up a second. I think it's easy to look at this and think, oh, they've just let you make like custom do not disturb settings, which in a way that is true, but it, it there's so much more to it now than just I don't want notifications during this time, right? You can set custom home screens. You can do all of these things and they all sync across all your devices if you want them to. I mean, what really opened my eyes to this was looking at Federico's review where he made a focus mode just called iOS review. And so it, you know, it configured his devices that just the way he wanted them when he was working on the review. I never would have thought about that as a focus, right? Because I, I would tend to think about it as, you know, home, work, sleeping, that sort of thing. But it really can be much more than that, it seems like. Yeah, I talked about this on the Automators podcast when... Disneyland first opened up, you couldn't get passes. You had to buy a physical ticket to go. And, you know, my family were like, you know, we were coming out of the desert starving. We really wanted to go to Disneyland. So we bought tickets and it was $150 a day. So to take the four of us to Disneyland, it was a $600 expense, you know, 
a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And um, and we went in for the day, and I got a phone call from a client. And he called like two or three times, and I'm like, ugh, I got to take this. And it he had like kind of a serious problem, but not really a serious problem. But by me accepting the call, it then became my problem. Right. You know? And honestly, if I hadn't been able to take the call and then talk to him the next day, nothing would have been different. But the fact that he kind of dropped it on my lap, it got in my head. And I spent like four hours walking around Disneyland that I just paid $600 to get my family into, you know, just working through this thing, right? That wasn't, shouldn't have been on my list. So it's like, I, I learned a lesson, you know, it's like, you know, it's it's like uh, when you do Zen training, it's something they teach you about being mindful and not trying to, you know, don't eat your problems. You know, when you eat a meal, eat the food. Don't think about your problems while you're eating, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, But the, uh, but it, it, it really threw me that day. And so then I made a, a focus mode. There's a, there's a point to this. <laughs> so I have a focus mode now called Disneyland. And when I turn that on, not only does it put like, it takes out all my productivity apps off my home screen and it gives me a custom home screen with like the Disneyland app, the weather, the time and ways to message my kids. And then it like turns off the whole world in terms of being able to get a hold of me. And it's just a focus mode I use for going to a theme park, but I find it excellent and I do it now every time we go Hmm. and I have not had somebody sidetrack me the way that guy did that day since I did that. And I, I don't know. I just think this is something once you start thinking about it, you can find a lot of uses for this. Yeah. So, so when you go to set one of these up and it comes with a couple out of the box that you can customize, you, uh, you have control not only of the applications, that can uh, break through with their notifications. Uh, you also have this, uh, and you're going to see this in iOS 15, called time-sensitive notifications. So when notifications come in, you can tell your device, yes, these are time-sensitive. I want to see them as they come in. Or you can say they're not time-sensitive, and you can just go deal with them later, and it's sort of a separate section for those. So you can say, these apps can come through, also allow time-sensitive notifications for my other applications. But really, I think one of the, the more powerful things is uh, people. And so you can say, I want notifications from David or from Steven and nobody else. And if third, party, third parties can tie into this, and if they do, the system can know that me and iMessage and me and Slack is the same person. And it can start to, like we talked about earlier, we shared with you, make iOS and iPadOS more people aware and less app-focused, app-centric. That'll take some time, I think, to iron out. But I'm really encouraged by the system that they've built. And it seems like it's it's not so complicated that you're going to get frustrated uh, trying to get it fine-tuned. But at the same time, it it will let you really set up your phone or, you know, I think primarily phone, but also iPad really the way that you want it to be. Agreed. This is another feature that needs another year's work in my opinion. Um, I mean, I like it and I'm using it, but a good example is they have a, you know, they have an allow list and a block list. 
And the way it defaults is it's 100% blocked, and then you pick individually people you allow in. And like when I go into my legal context, I'm working actually as a lawyer. I want to allow my clients to call and get through to me. But the only way I can do that is to add each client individually. Whereas I do have a contacts group called clients. Why can't I just let that group in to the allow lists? You know? Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's some stuff in here that make it harder to customize, even though it's technically possible to punch bigger holes in the wall. It's actually quite difficult. And I think really they erred on the right side of this. They want to make it harder to let people in than easier. But also I'm a big boy. I should be allowed to, um, to do more than that. Like, and like, if I want to use a focus mode to open up a specific home screen and allow automation, but only limit people's access to me in a small way, there really isn't an easy way to do that. So, you know, it is so focused on people that, um, you, it just doesn't, it doesn't give you quite as many dobs and uh, knobs and dials as you'd need. Hmm. You know, that's a surprise from Apple, right? Um, <laughs> but the, uh, I, I can see where they're going with this. And uh, like I said, another year on this and like give us the ability to block or allow entire contact groups. That would make a huge difference, you know? Man, I really feel like just as an aside to that, contact groups could be so much better supported by Apple. <laughs> Yeah, agreed. Uh, I mean, to the point where like uh, they're only sort of on iOS, like really to do a lot of stuff with them, you need a Mac. It's like th- this could be such a useful tool. I hadn't thought about it in in this regard, but I, I have thought about it in terms of screen time and parental controls. It's like, why can't I just have a group with my immediate family and set that up on a kid's device instead of needing to, you know, do this over and over, like you said. So, yeah, that's something I'd like to see Apple do. No, that's right. Like almost every focus mode I have, I have to go in and individually add Daisy, Sarah, Samantha. Because if my wife or my kids call me pretty much any time, I want that to come through. I don't know. Maybe they need me. Who knows, right? Um, so, you know, that is weird. Like I couldn't just have like the, you know, Sparks family contact group and just do it with one tap. But mm-hmm. so, so there is work to be done here, but I don't want to be too negative about it because I really think this is way more than I expected from Apple. And you can actually accomplish quite a bit with what you have now, but it, it, you know, it's a classic problem. If you give me something now, I want more. And um, yeah. And with this, cause I can just see how much greater it could be with just a little bit more uh, time invested and just a few more tweaks. But overall, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by ZocDoc. When you need a doctor, you need a doctor now, not in a few days or a few weeks, and definitely not in a few months. So if you need to see an MD ASAP, you need ZocDoc. Just download their free app, which is the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or via video chat, so you never have to wait on hold with a receptionist again. So whether you're looking for a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or some other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. Just go to ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C, dot com slash MPU and download the ZocDoc app free, sign up for free, 
every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. I definitely have been on the wrong side of this before, trying to get in to see somebody and it taking a long time. ZocDoc lets you get around that. And you can do it right from the convenience of your phone. You don't have to call somebody. You don't have to wait on hold. It's really great. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy, and now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com MPU and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's ZocDoc.com MPU. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of the show and Relay FM. Let's just extend a little bit. I know we're running long today, but this is a, a good episode. I think since we're on the topic, let's talk real quick about watchOS 8. Okay. And we, we can do this one quick. Yeah. It got a new number, went from seven to eight. <laughs> That's good, right? It, it did. Uh, <laughs> it did. I really feel, and I mean this in the most like complimentary way, the dust has really settled on watchOS. Do you remember the first few years? It's like, oh, we have glances and now we don't. And now we have the dock and it's vertical. Now we have the dock and it's horizontal. Like, I feel like they have finally dialed in, no watch pun intended, what watchOS is. And I think it's, I think like the bones are really good now. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, you've got a tiny screen and two buttons. So there's only so much you can do with this. And I think they're, they're slowly kind of figuring that out. Uh, this works with Apple Watch Series 3 and later. Uh, I think we're going to just say, look at last week's episode if you want to hear us complain about watch, <laughs> Apple Watch Series 3. Although, yeah. I did see that Dr. Drang wrote a post about how he still uses his Apple Watch Series 3 and us podcasters are being mean about uh, <laughs> criticizing it. But, uh, <laughs> I I don't have a problem if you bought one years ago. I just still you know don't believe friends should buy friends new series three Apple watches. Yeah, I mean, agreed. If, if you got it years ago, that's cool that you can still make it work. But the fact that they're selling new ones is the the thing that I have the problem with. Yeah, um, we did get some improvements to photos. Uh, they got a new portrait mode face. You know, using the death info from the photo to make a nice watch of the portrait of your you know your spouse or your significant other, your kids, your dog. If you want to just look at your wrist and see that person with a, with a clock on their face, you can do that. <laughs> or hopefully a clock behind their face. If they yeah, figured out the death the stuff, idea. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we spoke about this last time too, but I want third party watch faces more than ever. Oh yeah. That, that world time watch face, everybody keeps saying how great it is. I look at it and it's just a mess. I yeah. mean, I just, I can't imagine using that watch face, that new watch face. I installed, I did not install the watchOS beta, but I installed it today when it came out several hours ago. And that was the first thing I tried. I was like, let me see this new world clock time phase. Like, nope, this is a disaster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, there, There's just so much left on the table with that. But I do like the, um, the better photos support. So in the watch app, you can tell it, you know, what, uh, what photos you know you want to sync over? I just sync my favorites, uh, which are just a handful of them. But but now it can pull from your connected iPhone and show memories, which is this feature that powers the the photos widget as well. And uh, you can scroll through them on your watch. And of course, if you have a Series Seven coming later this fall, that screen is bigger and brighter than ever. But 
You know, at first, when the watch first came out, I really didn't get the appeal of photos on it. But as it's gotten bigger and more capable, uh, I can see it now. And I think that a lot of people want a picture of their spouse or their kid or whatever on not, you know, maybe not on their their watch face. Although I think a lot of people do do that, but just have it available on their watch, period. Agreed. Agreed. Um, the uh, the other thing I they they improved was the smart home integration. Um, they made a kind of a big deal about this when they announced it. Um, I played with it through the beta and I have not had great success with this. Like you're supposed to be able to play your home kit secure video on your watch. And I find that it is very laggy and not hmm. that useful. Hmm. Um, so I wasn't that impressed with that. That being said, the usual home kit stuff, like turn the lights off and on with your watch if you haven't tried that and you've got home kit stuff, you should absolutely try that. Cause I find that stuff works great. Like when I go upstairs every night, I turn off the lights downstairs off my wrist. And uh, so that stuff works, but the, I think just the camera, you know, getting data, I'm assuming it's pulling data f- through the phone to the watch to get that camera data, but it just does not seem that useful to me. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I mean, I don't have um, home kit secure video running anywhere, but, that would be nice if that were faster. Uh, I will echo though, the home app on the watch is pretty fantastic. Uh, the other thing that I've really used a lot just over the summer, I guess because shortcuts has come to the Mac, I've spent more time in shortcuts than ever, but just syncing your favorite shortcuts over to the watch. So I have several shortcuts that basically string together multiple things in HomeKit or like HomeKit plus something else. And yeah. just having a list of those on your watch and the shortcuts is great. I mean, the the watch can become a remote control for your life if you spend a little time in it. And I, I think this stuff um, in WatchOS 8 makes it better. Like, they, they have this really great uh, status update now in the home apps. You can just really quickly glance to see what's on or what's off. You know, they've had that in the home app on the phone for a while, but now it's it makes even more sense to have it on the watch. And I, I think they continue to push forward on that. And we, we need to do uh, an updated home kit episode. I think we will uh, later this year, early next year, but it's come a long way. And the watch is like becoming this more important part of it. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And since you have said the word watch and remote in the same sentence, this is not an iOS or watch OS eight update, but if you have an Apple TV, the remote app on your watch is golden. Particularly if you have children that don't appreciate the idea of putting the Apple TV remote back where it belongs. <laughs> because I can run my Apple TV fully from my wrist, and often I I am in a position where I have to. I just wish I could control the volume. That's the one thing it doesn't do, at least with my TV. Yeah, mine... Uh mine will my new tv will but i thought that means i need a new tv will you please call my wife <laughs> my new lg has home kit uh support it's great just you just need to call daisy for me steven okay. say i i think david needs a new tv <laughs> yeah well text entry and text edit is another good example you know we were talking earlier about how it seems like they're at a point with watchers where they're getting out the fine grit sandpaper rather than, you know, the saws and chisels and, you know, fixing text uh, uh, editing is something that they needed to do. And they added a feature now where you can just hit the scroll wheel, uh, you know, the, the, um, 
what do you call the thing? The, the big dial. Di- the digital crown. Digital crown. Yes. Boy, I'm getting senile. Uh, digital crown will now move the sc- move the cursor, which is a good idea. Um, they also have scribble and they've got a keyboard coming. Um, so I feel like they're kind of working on kind of the deeper level problems, not the big hard problems. And mm. that, that's good. Yeah. How do you enter text into your your watch though? Almost always via Siri. Yeah, me too. Um, I'll use Scribble sometimes, which is like where you draw it out with your finger on the little, it's like a little like grid and it figures it out. But yeah, most of the time Siri, because, you know, if I could sit down and type, I would just pull my phone out. So like, yeah, you know, it kind of works out that way. Although there is a keyboard coming uh, to, to the watch, uh, to the new Series uh, 7. But uh, there's a lot of a lot of drama around that because there was an app called FlickType, and it had been in and out of the store because Apple would basically uh, say they were breaking rules and let them back in, and then they they pulled it from the store entirely after Apple had told them that they couldn't do it anymore, and then now it's built in. So there's like a lot of a lot of stuff around that story that is a little a little messy. Yeah, well, I, I feel like Apple's in the wrong. Yep. I mean, if you're going to make a feature for the watch, you should let somebody make an app for the watch. I, I don't know. I'm just come on, guys. You're better than this. Mm-hmm. Either way, uh, focus mode, I talked about it earlier. You can swipe up at the bottom of your watch and you know where it's got the battery indicator and like turn on the cellular radio. You can also choose a focus mode. So if you go all in with focus mode like me, that is a great way to trigger focus mode right from your watch. And that's actually how I do it. And um, I find it very useful. And and the focus mode, really, the, the problem with focus mode right now is that it's not on the Mac unless you're running a beta operating system for Monterey, which has its own problems that come with it. So yeah. <laughs> I am, I, um, you know, you really can't get the full benefit of it till they finish it on the Mac. But it is really great, and I, I do like the way this is an entire ecosystem feature. And once they're done and releasing Monterey, you'll be able to trigger a focus mode on any device and have it work across all of them. Um, they added a new app called Mindfulness, and I know you were interested in it. Have you had a chance to play with it yet? Uh, I have not. Um, I spent my time playing with watch faces, <laughs> and then it was time to record. But the old, yeah. the old Breathe app now... Uh, has mindfulness in it as well. So the icon's a little bit different and you tap it and you can choose between mindfulness and breathe and you can set a time for each. Um, So I'll be sure to follow up on that uh, maybe in our next feedback show and uh, talk about it then. Yeah, and they also have a link in there for fitness plus um, mindfulness, you know, workouts where it's just audio only, which I think will be useful as well. I think so too. Because a, a lot of those like mindful cool down quote workouts in Fitness Plus are really pretty nice, and so uh, it makes a lot of sense to me like reuse some of that content in other places, and uh, that seems like an obvious place to start with that. Yeah, well, I will say you know I'm from California, usual disclaimer, but if you ever find yourself like spinning out of control or just feeling like you're losing control, this stuff works. You know, mm-hmm. stop and breathe for a minute or five minutes and. And take a chill pill. Uh, so I'm glad it's there and glad that they're continuing to, to work on that. Uh, multiple timers. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> timers are one of the most frequent features I use on my Apple Watch. I, uh, you know, I use it for like Pomodoro stuff, where I'll say I'm going to work for 30 minutes and set a timer, or I'll use it for you know cooking or gardening and all sorts of things. And uh, I, I think this is a feature that needed to be there. It's like, how did it take until 2021? to get multiple timers in the Apple watch. I'm not sure, but they are here. So let's uh, be happy for that and just start using them. Yeah, it's great. It came to the home pod a while back and I just, I don't know why Apple was surprised people wanted multiple timers, but I'm, I'm glad that it's here. Uh, I still would like the watch to be more intelligent about like when I have something like a timer running, like make it easy to see that somewhere like on the, on the phone, it's on the lock screen. But times yeah. are still kind of hidden away, unfortunately. Well, there's a lot of great timer widgets. And uh, so that that can help you. There's also the ability to, um, you know, to put it in like your dock. The, the watch has a dock, so that's another way to do it. And then I think this is one of the best uses for Siri on your watch is just hit the uh, digital crown, hold it down, and then say, you know, set a timer for 10 minutes and it, it'll just do that for you. So there are quite a few ways to do it once you kind of get go down that road. But, you know, the problem is two buttons and a small screen. Yeah, I guess so. There's some other things in WatchOS 8. I feel like we've we've hit the, the big things, but uh, the health stuff that we mentioned earlier, some of that is here as well. Um, App, the Apple Watch can now uh, calculate your breaths per minute while you're sleeping. Uh, and, of course, the, all that sleep data syncs with the health app. You can still use third-party sleep apps if you want to. They're, they're all still there. I just had an experience. I, the other night, it's unusual for me not to sleep through the night. I'm a pretty good sleeper. But I woke up at, like, 4 thinking about a client thing. And, you know, sometimes you just wake up and your mind gets turned on and you're not going to turn it off. So I woke, I just got out of bed, went downstairs and I took care of the thing and it took like an hour and a half. And then I went back to bed mm. and I got up the next day and sleep plus plus showed that I had an hour and a half thing in the middle of the night where I was awake and the Apple sleep app showed that I was awake for like two minutes and went back to sleep. So I'm not sure. That's your Apple app if you really know when I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah, I don't if I sleep track, I use Sleep Plus Plus, but I don't I don't sleep with my watch on very often. Yeah, I do most days, which is another reason why I'm thinking about getting a one with the bigger battery. Yeah, and that faster charging if you get the fancy yeah. USB C charging puck. It's not that big of a deal though, because like I work, I have a charger on my desk during the day and I'll sit at my desk for an hour or two at a time. So it's not that big of a deal to take the watch off and just charge it then. Yeah, it, well, let's just move on real quick. Uh, Stormwatch for weather, you know, they bought Dark Sky, so we're starting to see some of that. Uh, the Contacts app is better. Uh, always on actually works with more apps. It used to always go back to the clock all the time, and they're doing that better, although they're not doing it with enough apps still, in my opinion. But, I mean, they're working... Like I said, with the finer grit sandpaper at this point with Apple Watch, and I'm okay with that. Anything else with the with the watch jump out at you? Uh, I really only had the last thing uh, on my list, and we talked about it last time, is that there's better fall detection for workouts. So if yeah. you're if you crash your bike, uh, it's gonna <laughs> know that you did that. 
uh, although we did hear from some people who had had, you know, falls during workouts and it had, it had uh, notified them and it had caught it. I think what Apple's saying is not that it didn't work before, but it should work better now. Yeah. And um, I um, I crashed my scooter with it on. And um, it was just, I was just going to get my hair cut. So I took the scooter and hit a patch of grass and I went flying. I think if we had video of that, that would have been pretty funny. But <laughs> but yeah, it caught it, you know, it caught it. Yeah. So in yeah. addition to feeling really embarrassed when I crashed my scooter right right in front of a busy traffic, I uh, I had my watch going off on my wrist. Yeah, your watch knows. <laughs> it always knows. <laughs> So there's a few features that were announced but didn't release. Um, we talked already about SharePlay. Not quite there yet. That's one I really want, though. I hope it comes soon. Yeah, I think I, I would imagine that we'll see that with, uh, you know, a 15.1. Maybe that comes when Monterey comes, you know, later this fall, we assume. The uh, the other feature, or the other big feature, at least that that's not there, is definitely Monterey dependent, and that's universal control, where you can have a, a Mac and an iPad and just have one keyboard and cursor and move between them. Uh, this, as far as I know, never or, or hasn't yet shown up in any betas, and so maybe it's maybe it's later on, but. I think that's going to be really sweet for those of us who maybe work at a Mac, but you know, have an iPad on the desk uh, and, and want to move between them. So it's not sidecar. It's not your iPad turning into a Mac display. Your iPad stays an iPad. You're just same keyboard and mouse can control both. Yeah. I can just see like Craig Federighi meeting with Tim Cook after the WWDC keynote and saying, Hey, number one, that was a great demo. And number two, Oh man, now we got to deliver this. <laughs> You know, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that it was in none of the betas, so I'm like, I'm thinking this one's going to be a little while. It may be, but I'm actually I'm okay with that if they think they can confidently get it to us before next summer. You know, I I would rather them announce it and get it to us in a point update rather than say, well, it's not ready. You know, going to be ready in the fall, so we're just not going to announce it till next year. Hmm. Yeah, it's just so interesting that now over the last several years, they've had features that they've announced and they've announced them for the most part coming in, you know, this iOS release, but they end up being later in the year. And I'm just, I'm wondering if in the future, Apple may shift and say, hey, you know, from the beginning, this will be coming later in the fall or in the spring, but we want to show it to you now. I don't think there's anything wrong with having these features be later. I think they just got to work out a way to talk about it in a way that that makes sense to everybody so i know you got on the beta train earlier than you usually do how'd it go for you it, it really was great i i didn't have any third-party apps that just straight up didn't work i didn't really have any show stopping issues like oh no my iCloud has stopped syncing or my email quit working really i feel like the ios 15 development cycle was pretty smooth uh, i really don't don't regret running the running the beta as long as I did. I agree with you with one glaring exception of shortcuts. I think shortcuts yeah. is pretty broken and it's been really rough. Uh, if you make shortcuts, that's where you see it happen. Like, like when I just the other day, I was trying to create a variable I'm tapping, tapping, nothing's happening. 
quit the app, restart the app. I mean, it's just like, it feels like kind of the old days when shortcuts was brand new and I don't know what's going on, but they just haven't caught up. My guess is the team is probably, well, I mean, who, who knows, but I would assume that trying to get it done on the Mac and the update to the iPhone and iPad is stretching them pretty thin. Maybe, but it's not ready. I mean, it's fine to run shortcuts and your existing shortcuts are going to work fine. It's not like breaking at the execution level. It's breaking at the creation level. And it's even worse on Mac at this point. I'm trying to make a, a a shortcuts for Mac field guide. And it's like, I get like, I, you know, I work all this time on this video. I get like three or four minutes into the recording and then shortcuts just doesn't do what it did in all the rehearsals. Like for whatever reason, it decides, nope. This time I'm not going to comply, you know, and that is a very frequent problem at this point. So I, I don't know. I, I think they'll get it, but it is um, just be warned if you want to go in and start building shortcuts, starting with this initial release of iOS 15, that there be dragons. My one of the, my takeaways is you know I've kind of changed my my usage towards iPad, and I really like the changes, the multitasking, the, you know, the widgets on the screen, I find uh, that the iPad is giving me more joy than it has in the past. And I think the changes they make, uh, they made make the iPad for what I'm using it for an even better device. Yeah. That they've been able to make the power user features, not only more powerful, but I think easier for people to discover while walking that line of hey if you just use your ipad the old way one app at a time that's still perfectly preserved as well agreed um and you're excited about quick note right i am i've i've been using craft a lot but apple apple notes and quick note that's a pretty cool combination uh, especially if you're in that sort of research mode Again, I do most of that on the Mac, and so I'm sort of holding my final judgment until I'm running Monterey every day. Yeah, but I think particularly on the Mac, it could be, it could be a, a really an interesting change to how people just collect data throughout the day. Yeah, the biggest game changer for me with this release is focus mode, and I complain about it because I love it, but I think focus mode is going to be really useful to me. I am really obsessed with trying to be able to work two or three hours at a time on a single problem and being able to tell my digital devices to leave me alone contextually is, is a, just a feature from heaven for me. Cause I, I really need that and there was no way to do it before. So I, I'm very excited about that overall though. I think it was a pretty good year for Apple. I mean, when you think about, you know, everything considered a lot of people working from home, just a lot of people having a lot of good reasons to be distracted with other problems. Uh, they came up with a set of features that, that I think improve the iPad experience. They improve the, um, the video call experience, which is, is timely. And overall it doesn't seem to break everything. So that's pretty good too. Yeah. I think it's a, a stellar year for releases. Not maybe not as flashy as 14. I think widgets on the iPhone home screen is going to be hard to beat for a long time, but I think in particular the iPad, like we're saying, really got maybe for the first time in a long time, like got the attention it deserves and in a way that's like pretty hard to find fault with. I think the new multitasking system in particular is really solving a bunch of problems that that Apple had 
had created for itself, but had let sit too long at the same time. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's like that second iteration. And um, I think now they've got multitasking in a place where everybody can do it, which I think is really what the iPad should be all about. Let us know what you think about all these new releases. We have a forum over at talk.macpowerusers.com. And um, we uh, we will be talking about Monterey in a month or two. Any predictions, Stephen, as to when Monterey will release? I think it'll be whenever we see new Macs. So hopefully, you know, about a month from now. Uh, you know, running the beta, it's definitely a little behind iOS and iPadOS in terms of stability. So give it another month or so, and I think we'll be be back here talking new software. I really hope shortcuts gets better in the meantime because yeah, I'm losing my mind. It's pretty right busted. Now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, either way, that'll be a, a little while. But I, I think Apple has had a, a solid year, especially on the iPhone and iPad here. Uh, so let us know what you think in the forums. Like I said, uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm/mpu. Hard to believe we're at six oh seven now, Stephen. Wow. Um, yeah, the uh, thank you to our sponsors, One Password, Electric, Pingdom, and Zocdoc. Uh, we'll see you next time.